Well, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about prayer, and certainly it's hard to see prayer as a normal thing, as we've been talking about in our series. You talk to yourself about God, you talk to God about yourself, and just how normal and natural that is, and there isn't a ritual, there isn't a routine, God wants you to be real. And yet I think Christians are often unintentionally so, so uh, pious, sometimes intentionally, uh, sometimes so overly formal that it's hard for us to feel like we could ever pray. Well, today we're talking about how to give prayers of trust. What does a prayer of trust look like? How do you begin to trust what he says? But before we do that, I think we need to address a challenge. The opening song you heard was Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. If the Bible's really true, then those truths can change us. They can modify us. They can bring peace into our life. They can bring love into our life. They can bring hope into our life. But I think a major objection comes up before you jump into that, which is how do we know the Bible's true? How do I know we can trust what the Bible says? And the objection goes like this. I mean, you Christians say that all people, all human beings are flawed, they're sinful, they're morally bankrupt. And yet, human beings wrote the Bible, and you want me to believe that the Bible is true, even though people you say are sinful wrote it. That's the objection. And it's a great objection. So how do we address that? What's the answer to why this book is true? I'm going to show you ways that it does work, uh, scientific uh, proofs that the kind of stuff given in the Bible really does impact you the way it says. But from a a large macro version, how do you really know and how did the Bible get to be accurate if it came through the hands of people who are inherently flawed? Well, think of it this way. There's two words. Uh, One word is revelation. Revelation is a word Christians use to describe the process that God says, I want to disclose myself and also I want to communicate truth to my children. That's the process of revelation. It couldn't be known any other way. He does that through creation. You look at the back of a leaf, you look at the, uh, the, the, the water cycle, you look at how a salmon can, can go upstream and go back to the same place it's never seen before, a homing pigeon, and you begin to look at all the things in the world, and you begin to learn that there's a guy who's an engineer, he's intelligent, he's an artist. But God wanted to give revelation or to disclose himself to human beings, his children, so he, he was motivated to find a way to get that into our hands in a way that was error-free. Now that is a process called inspiration. That's where God partners with individual human authors to compose and record without error his revelation to his children. And so there's two main verses I want to look at today. The first one is in 1 Peter, 2 Peter rather, 121. Here's the process at which God was motivated to make sure he could get us a copy of what he wanted to share with us in an error-free form. It says, Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men, and that doesn't mean people who are perfect, it means people set apart for this purpose, holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the Bible is more like a scroll than it was a paper like we had, so you would unroll your scroll and someone would begin to write. And in the process of these holy men writing out the scripture, God said he moved along them. He carried them along. He made sure that these particular books written by these particular people would be recorded error-free. Not everything Peter wrote was error-free. Not everything Paul wrote was error-free. But the particular books they wrote here in what we know as the Bible, God superintended or God moved them along so that we could record something that would be error-free when they were recording the text in the Old Testament and then later in the New Testament. Now, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, these are holy scriptures. They're holy. They're set apart. They, they contain God's very word. And here's how God did it. It says, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus. All Scripture, all of it, is 
given by the inspiration of God. Another way to say it is it's God-breathed. In other words, as God carried these folks along, he breathed his work into what they were writing. And it would be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, that you could be complete, help you be more mature, and equipped for life, equipped for every good work. The word, therefore, inspired by God is God's breath. That God's breath would come along and literally breathe into this process. And as he breathed the process, he would move along the people who were writing. Now, this is very different from, say, the Quran and Islam, because Muhammad says that God, Allah, dictated to him what to write, and he wrote it down. Same thing with Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. God dictated, and he wrote it down. Biblical inspiration says that God used the individual talents, the individual uh, skills, writing style, and background of leaders all through history, so their personality style and their writing style would show up, but that he would breathe or move them along or carry them along in such a way that what they recorded in these particular books would contain air-free his revelation. So I'll show you what that might look like. So in the Old Testament, folks were writing, and God allowed his breath to come along and be part of the process, like this. All right, then the New Testament shows up. Same thing, God wants to disclose specifically not just who he is, but what he had done through Jesus. So the same thing occurred. And that picture of the the, the scriptures being carried along by the breath of God, that is what the Bible means when it talks about inspiration and revelation. Now, if it really is true, then the argument then is, well, then how do we know the Book of Mormon, which claims that way? Or how do we know that the, uh, the Quran that claims that? Well, then the facts that are presented, if it is God's word, should back up with archaeological findings, with manuscript evidence, scientific evidence, should back up what the Bible says. Because if it's true, it should be true to all people of all times. So that's the process. In that process, then, folks throughout time have said, because this is God's revelation, I can begin to memorize it. I can begin to meditate on it, pray about it, replace thoughts in my head with these thoughts from the Scripture, and it begins to transform me. And that's what we're going to find out happens today. The Bible offers us something that's truthful. We can anchor into a world of just wishy-washiness. We have something that's true to combat lies, to find freedom in our life. But here's where prayer is really simple. Prayer is someone more than something. See, it's like I want to work on my prayer life, but that's fine, but that's a thing. Prayer is someone you know more than something you do. And that is so critical to understand because here's how you know you're starting to move from being religious or spiritual to becoming a real follower of Christ. You begin to read the Bible, and in some sense, you begin to feel, you know, it sounds kind of weird, but you actually begin to feel there's somebody talking back to you. There's someone in there talking back to you. Sometimes it's because a phrase catches your attention or there's a certain piece that seems to time out exactly where you're at as you're reading it in life. I'm like, oh, that's what I needed, that promise, that hope. But there's someone talking back to you through the Bible. You might say, no, that sounds like you need some medication. That doesn't sound like anything good. But as you take folks on their journey, they begin to say, I, read the, I didn't read the Bible because it seemed confusing and I really didn't understand it. So I began to dig into it, it seemed relevant. I got a few little nuggets here and there. So I've got a discipline of reading the Bible. It's beginning. It's like somebody's talking back to me, giving me wisdom and hope and comfort. That's the process. So prayer is about someone you know, God, not something you do. 
And the reason that's so important, it'd be like your windshield. If you were driving in your car and you made the windshield the main thing, now the windshield is something you see through the windshield to see the rest of life. Prayer is a tool you see through to get to know God. So it's someone you know. So I want to give you three lessons today in a specific Psalms 119 about the Bible and how truth changes us, about how we get to know the someone uh, named God who came into history to communicate to us. The first lesson is that you learn to love someone's voice. Someone you trust, someone you love. When you trust someone, you begin to love their wisdom. You begin to love their voice and what they say. Here's how the writer begins in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. They are ever with me, your words, for your testimonies are my meditation. He loves what God has to say. Now, he doesn't live up to it very often. Oh, my goodness, I missed that. Oh, my goodness. But that is so right. I ought to live that way. I love the fact that's true. I love the fact that's, that promise is right. He loves someone's words. He knows it's your law. I love it because it came from you. Not only do I love it, but I think about your words all day long. Man, that's so true. I do want to have meditate on things that are good. I do want to do all things without grumbling and complaining. I'm thinking about, I'm trusting that his way is best. They are ever with me. I'm thinking about them throughout the day. Your testimonies are my meditation. Now, when you think of meditation, you might think of like this lady up here doing a little meditation. But meditation is actually a very normal thing. In fact, we all meditate. It's whatever it is you think about throughout the day. See how the writer says that? They are ever with me. What are the thoughts in the back of your mind that you're consciously or unconsciously aware of that stay with you throughout the day? Those are your meditations. And I want to propose to you that right now you and I both have meditations of someone in the back of our head. Someone who said something nasty maybe, and those meditations have been with you for years. A parent, a coach, a friend, a business partner. And those phrases have become your meditations, your fear of failure or your desire for success, your drivenness. Or your success can be traced back to the meditations or words you got from somebody, someone. I'll give you an example. Here might be some negative meditations that you might have. Next slide. You grew up in a household that heard this all the time. You should be ashamed of yourself. Or you grew up in a church that said you should be ashamed of yourself. Or, or you heard a priest or a pastor. And, and the whole genre that came out as you heard about religion or Jesus was you should be ashamed. It was a big blanket of guilt. And you've tried to shake yourself away of that. But deep underneath everything you do, when you try and do good things, you're trying to get away from that meditation. Oh, yeah, I'm ashamed of myself. That's a meditation that does not bring freedom. Another meditation, you walk into a room, you walk into a party... And the meditation is, I wonder what people are thinking of me. And often it's, you aren't really that important. They aren't thinking about you. But the meditation is you walk in and that insecurity that you have is because you've got a meditation. I wonder what people are thinking of me. Because someone's opinion from the past, you got mocked for something, or someone's opinion you want to be fulfilled for something is driving your decisions. Now, some of us have a meditation, and it goes like this. I have this one pop up regularly. I would do anything not to feel that way again. Part of what I shared two weeks ago in my journey through grieving my daughter's transition into college is I remember going through depression when I was in ninth grade. And I remember saying, I never want to feel this way again. But I acknowledged myself that if I don't properly grieve the process of this transition, I will end up there again. 
But I don't want to grieve because grieving may lead to sadness and sadness may lead to depression. Therefore, don't grieve and don't be sad and I'll end up with depression anyway. I had to first address this meditation, which is I tell myself I don't want, I'll do anything not to feel that way. And that's what leads us into medicating our disappointments and our hurts with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with escapism. I'll do anything not to feel disappointed again. It's a meditation. You can't trust men. Maybe you had a bad experience that you said, you know, you really can't trust men or women. Or maybe you had a mother who spoke into your life and said, listen, you know what happened with, with your dad and I? Just know you can't trust men. And that has impacted. That meditation you're not even fully aware of but you're tethered to has affected your ability to have the kind of relationship you wanted. Or maybe you've got a meditation and it shows up consciously all the time even though you're not aware it's a meditation. But in the back of your mind you're saying, just a little bit more and I'll be happy. So whatever you have, it's like, wow, this is it. For about a month. Well, maybe this is it. Because there's a meditation going on. Someone told you, the American dream told you, your dad told you, your culture told you, that's what it meant to be happy. But see, in each of these instances, there's someone in the past that you're trusting their voice and it's motivating your decisions. Now, the same thing can true on, on the positive side. Meditations of someone impact us. Someone said, you can do anything. Somebody poured strength and confidence in us. And you really live out every day. I think I could solve anything. I could combat that. I can do anything because someone told you that. In the Bible, it looks like this. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Imagine if you thought about that every day, whatever you face, whatever difficulty you had in the back of your mind. I can do anything because God is with me. Next one, I'm not alone. You've got community. You've got connection. Somebody told you in the past, I want you to know whatever goes on, I'm by your side. I will walk through this with you. No matter how difficult it is, no matter what happens to you, you're not alone. God says the same thing. Whatever you go through, know that you're not alone. I am with you. Do you see trusting that would change your outlook? Whatever you do, I'll support you. Or maybe instead of you can't trust men or you can't trust women, maybe you heard something, a real marriage, your real parents or grandparents said to you, marriage is hard. But it's worth it. And so when things get difficult in your marriage, you think, you know what, I knew it was going to be hard. But it's worth it. It's worth the effort working through this season. That meditation transforms how you approach this. For some of us, we we grew up with a meditation that forgiveness is bondage. You never say you're sorry. That's a sign of weakness. You never say you're sorry because that's when somebody takes all the bullets of everything you said sorry for and blasts you for the next 10 years. You remember the time you said you did this wrong. You always do this wrong. And you say, I remember that happening. And it, the, the thought that in the back of your head is, I will never hand bullets to other people. Versus what God says is forgiveness is freedom. For some, it's very easy for us to apologize. We know that apologizing brings reconciliation in relationships. Here's what I want you to notice. Whether it's negative messages or positive messages, at the heart of it is, do you trust them? Are you going to trust that forgiveness is freedom or forgiveness is bondage? Are you going to trust that marriage is worth it and stick it out or you might as well just give up? Are you going to trust that I'm not alone or nobody feels this way? It always comes down to an issue of trust to someone's words. Let me give you one of my meditations. So we... Went to uh, Branson, Missouri to uh, drop off my daughter for college. And so way back in May, I wasn't sure who was going to come. Would it be just Beth and I and Sierra? Would it be the whole family? So I booked a house that could, seat, that could sleep 12 people. I got a heck of a deal for $1,000. Because 
Because one of my meditations that serve me well as a resourceful, creative person is get the best deal you can. Get the best bang for your buck. So I'm always about getting the best bang for your buck. I got that from my dad. I got that from my grandfather. Get the best deal. So I get this heck of a deal. Well, between May and arriving in August, I suddenly had an exodus of every family member leaving their town to come and join us in Branson. My best family that never travels, her mom and dad came. Her sister, who's never traveled, decides to come. My parents decide to come. Sierra has to be there the whole week because he can't drop her off till Friday. Uh, Quinn decides to come and his, uh, uh, his special needs helper with us. My son Javen came. And Linda and Gordy, who were two hours north of us, decide to come down to visit so we could have a shower. Now, they're all coming different days. I couldn't figure out who was on which day. But we had a great time. Had a great celebration. And I thought, I'm getting a heck of a deal. I've now got 12 people, not all on the same day, for 1000 bucks. Now, in the fine print, it said, by the way, if you have any additional people, it's $15 per day per person. <laughs> but my meditation was, well, he was, he was and here's, here's how rationalization occurs in me, maybe not with you. Well, he was okay making $1,000 for the week. As long as we clean it up, what's it matter to him? Who's going to know? How will he ever know? You know what? We did help set up his Internet while he was there. That's got to be worth something. If I was billing that, what would that be? And this is what's going on in my head. And as I was leaving, I said, hey, I didn't have a checkbook with me. I, I, we had a few other people stop by. I'll write you a check for the additional. And I thought, I'll give him 100 bucks. I'll be fine. Because my meditation was best bang for the buck. So I'm on my way home about to write that check for the amount that was far too low. And I thought, well, I at least ought to calculate what it should be or would be. And so whenever I'm doing a new document that I'm going to delete later, I always call it test. So it's a test PowerPoint or a test, and I can go back and delete them all later. So I typed into my Excel sheet, the test, and I started running the numbers. This person's here one day, and this person's here three days and five days. And it came to be like $500. I went, that's a 50% increase. That's my 50 At the end of the day, I still got a heck of a deal. But I went, oh, my goodness. I was saying 50% more than I planned. And I just felt like we were actually in a staff prayer meeting when this was going on. And I felt, I felt there was someone telling me something was wrong inside me. Something was wrong with the way I was reacting to this. And I felt like someone was saying, Chad, what did you call this document? And I looked up at my document, test. Chad, this is a test. Money is always a test. Are you going to trust me or trust you? Are you going to trust your words, get the best bang for the buck, which serves you well most of the time, but in this case, you need to trust my words. You're being dishonest. What? Now, when you hear the story, you're like, of course you're being dishonest, Chad. But isn't that how rationalization works? There comes a moment where you say, am I going to trust my words or God's words? And right there, we're in the middle of staff meeting. I'm like, I'm writing that check right now. I got it on my online banking. I wrote it out. I said, God, thank you for convicting me. Thank you that if this is a test of my integrity. More, it's a test of my trust of you. That's what it means when you come to the Bible and you let it challenge you and push you and bring out the worst in you to forgive and the best of you to be affirmed. That's our first lesson. You learn to, to love someone's words. The second thing is you learn to trust the benefits of someone's advice. You see, if it's someone you really love and somebody really you can count on, somebody you can trust, you trust their advice, don't you? Because it's someone you know. Same thing happens here. Look what he says. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You, you, it's all about you when I come to prayer, when I come to study the Bible. I want to get to know you. I want your advice on this situation. I want your commandments on this situation. I want your promises here. Then notice he says, you, through your commandments. That's why I say it's about someone, not something. You open up the Bible, and he says, you are communicating through your commandments. 
You are communicating through your word, through the Old Testament, New Testament. There's things you are talking to me through this book. See how he says that? Then he's talking himself into why the benefits of what God says, forgiveness, paying the money that you owe, is better than the meditations of his own heart. Through your commandments, you make me wiser. You know, I don't even know, Chad, if I believe your whole revelation inspiration thing. It's sort of cool to see some... My kids are going to take this and do this to the neighbor's house, actually, so thank you for that. But here's what he tells us. He goes, no, God, I know that when I study this stuff, when I trust this stuff, it makes me wiser than my enemies. It's one of the benefits. And I'm becoming wiser as I read this book. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers. I'm getting access not just to knowledge, but to wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It's the ability to apply knowledge to life's situations and relationships. And God wants to give you wisdom and understanding. He goes on. He says, I understand more than the ancients. I have restrained my feet from every evil way. God, when I have just decided to trust you, it has restrained me from falling into a pit. I, I was starting to tiptoe into pornography and then into an inappropriate relationship, and I got restrained because I chose to flee from evil because I trust someone was giving me good advice. Someone kept me from being dishonest and the implications of that because I trusted someone who I knew. Your word, your truth, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's what the Bible becomes. You trust someone's words, their advice. So their advice becomes a lamp. It shows you the next step. You say, I'm trusting you. It looks like I should go this way, but you're telling me this way is safer. I trust you, that you love me and want my best. That's what he's saying here. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But you see again how he's selling himself on the benefits. It makes me wiser. It gives me more understanding. It restrains me from evil. There's going to come a moment when which you hear something that you know the Bible says or that God says or somebody told you the Bible says and your instinct and you're going to have to decide what you trust. You have to say, I think this is better, but I'm going to trust that this will restrain me from getting in trouble or evil. And that act of trusting someone is what God is doing in your heart. I've talked about our, our continuum as a church, that all of us on our spiritual continuum in our life. And in that spiritual continuum, there's different steps. We start at the bottom here. Some people have an awareness of God, but don't yet know what it means to have a friendship with God, that they can look into a book and have someone talking back to them. Some of you have come into our church because you've got a positive attitude towards somebody who calls themselves a Christian. You don't believe it at all, but you like what you're seeing in their life, their benefits. You see their marriage. You see their kids. You see the peace they have in circumstance. You see the, the, the way in which they handled their, their cancer treatments, and there was something going on there, and you saw a benefit. So you have a positive attitude towards someone with a strong faith, even though you don't share their views. Then you may be coming to Horizon for a little bit, and you work up to another step. You have a positive attitude toward the benefits of the Bible's message. You like the benefits of it as you're exploring your own doubts, but I don't really think it's from God. As you keep moving along, you may get to the place you say, I don't believe yet, but I'm starting to have a positive attitude toward the message itself. And there will come a moment that you say, but I do believe it. I believe there's someone who's trying to communicate to me. I want to accept Christ as my forgiver and my leader. And that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of a journey. To continue to be convinced that God's word is true in your marriage, in your life. What it means to learn that the Bible is about responding to what Jesus did for me, not what I do for him. And that's what it's about. And that's why we have a two-service design. Because we know that everyone's at a different place spiritually. Our exploring service at 10, 11, 10 is about creating environments for people who are exploring. 
our equipping service is Saturday at 4.30 and Sundays at 8.50. We go verse by verse through the Bible. We praise music and worship and communion because we're trying to help wherever you are take the next step to be increasingly convinced and equipped by the Bible. Because in your life, you're going to have these decisions. God says, forgive. Will you trust him? God says, be generous. Like giving away percentages of your income. Really? Will you trust him? God will say to you, honesty is always the best policy. Will you trust him? Selflessness will always trump selfishness. Demanding your rights will never bring what you want. Will you trust him? Loving the unlovable builds relationships. Will you love the unlovable? Will you respect someone who doesn't seem respectable? Will you give to them what they need, not what they deserve? And you'll have to say, I'm not sure I trust that. But when we begin to trust someone, we say, you know what, I'm going to do it because I trust you, not because I think it's the best idea. That's how prayer works. Which brings us to our third thing. You learn to love someone's words. You learn to trust the benefits of their advice. Then you learn to follow someone's direction. And this is what always happens. You begin to replace what you knew with something new. I used to think, blah, that's what I knew. Now I think something new. This new thought is changing the way I think or process this thing. That's the process you're going through. That's lesson three here, is that we begin to learn to follow someone's direction. You put yourself under their authority. Now, now we all do this regularly. We struggle with whether or not we can do it with God, but it's ironic because we put ourselves under the authority of the mechanic. We trust them to fix the car. We put ourselves under the authority of a financial advisor. We're going to take their advice. We put ourselves under the authority of the doctor, and they're going to put us under the knife. We're always putting ourselves under the authority because we trust that someone has the credentials, that someone has the, the care and the expertise to bring us what we need to fix what's broken. It's always about someone. In fact, you don't like that someone. You get a second opinion until you find someone who you will follow their direction. And God says, I want to be that someone. That I've demonstrated my love and care for you. That you can so trust me that my directions aren't something that's a burden. That I accept you no matter what you ever do. I love you no matter what you ever do. I will forgive you past, present, future. Let's get guilt out of the way. Now, let me tell you, I am for you. I've done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Now, let me tell you the best way to live. Will you follow my directions? Here's what he says. He says, I understand more than the ancients because. Now, look how many times the word your shows up. It's about someone, not something. Because I keep your precepts, your principles. I restrain my feet from evil, every evil way, that I may keep your word. It's your directions. I have not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to the mouth. Your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every evil way because it's the opposite of you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you see how it's all about someone? Because I could have two people give me the same advice. And I respect one and not the other. I get mad that somebody's trying to control me. And I respect the other person because I know they love me. And that's when you become a real Christian, is when you start going from, i got to do this, I have to do this, guilt, 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 condemn, 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 shame, 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 to, oh, wow, I want to follow someone who would do something like that for me. It becomes about someone, you, your, what you've done. And look at that phrase in the middle. His words, 
become like sweetness, like honey to me. You know, when you think of sweetness, do you think of the Bible? No, I think of burden. I think of some big, giant obstacle or, or burden I've got to carry around and have to do and I can't do. Or do you think of the sweetness? I mean, what's your favorite cake? Maybe it's a pineapple upside down cake. Do you think of dessert the way you think of God's truths for your life? Because that's what happens when you begin to pray. You can say, wow, this works. Wow, this makes me wiser. Wow, this is, whew, that protected me from some problems. I've got to trust him next time. And you begin to see the sweetness of the advice point you back to the sweetness and the strength of the person who gave the advice. Now, sometimes we don't trust God because we don't think he gives good advice. We got a problem with the someone more even than we have with the advice he gives. So I had some folks a couple years ago said, hey, I'd really would like to do something special for Chad. I really would like to make him his favorite cake. So they came up to John Kirby. Maybe you know John Kirby, and you know he's very kind and welcoming and warm here at the church. And, and you'd say, I can trust John. John's the one that knew my name. He's the one that made me feel welcome here. So someone came to John and said, John, I know you're someone I can trust. How can I make Chad something really special for his birthday? What's his favorite cake? John said, oh, it's pineapple upside down cake. So this person went and they you know, customized a recipe and made the most incredible pineapple upside down cake you've ever seen. I showed up at the staff meeting and they brought this thing in and said, Chad, happy birthday. Here's your favorite cake, pineapple upside down cake. And I went, I've never had pineapple upside down cake. I might like it, I might not, I don't know. So I ate a piece and it was delicious. And so after the meeting, I said thanks to everybody and I walked up to John and I said, John. Why did this person think that pineapple upside down cake is my favorite cake? He says, oh, I told him. I said, why did you think that pineapple upside down cake is my favorite? He goes, oh, I know it's not, but it's my favorite cake. (laughs) And I think for many of us, we think God's got an angle. We don't think we can trust him. Sure, God. Uh, Chad, I know why you're saying what you're saying. You mentioned generosity because you're hoping I'll give more money. Uh, I know you're saying forgiveness because you want to make weak people, because religious people have crutches. You've got the same problem with God that I have with John Kirby. Which, by the way, John did share with me that he, um, he does have a favorite cake. And it's a little strange. He actually likes chocolate, chocolate chip cakes. But somewhere along the way, he found he really enjoys the particular taste of chocolate laxatives. So if you make a chocolate cake for him at a chocolate laxative, I don't know why, he really enjoys that. You might want to get him one of those. I think he really appreciates that. But you see how the someone, the someone drives to something, doesn't it? In fact, um, in his book, A Praying Life, the author, Paul Miller, describes one of our greatest challenges in trying to pray is that we live in a cynical society that we always assume somebody's lying to us or has an angle. So cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. The cynic is always observing, critiquing, but never engaging, loving, or hoping. We've moved from a Promethean age of great deeds to a listless, detached age. Johanna Sanchez, a 32-year-old Cuban blogger and leading spokesman for her generation, said this, Unlike our parents, we never believed in anything. Our defining characteristic is cynicism, but that's a double-edged sword. It protects you from crushing disappointments, but it paralyzes you from doing anything. See, to be cynical is to be distanced. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know, cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. A praying life is the opposite. It engages evil. 
It doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping and dreaming and asking. Prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It's passive. Cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we're engaged in, it is without hope. If you add an overlay of prayer to a cynical or even weary heart, it feels phony. For the cynic, life is already phony. You feel as if you are just contributing to the mess. So part of what prayer does is it says we live in a culture today that says don't hope too much, don't pray too much, don't have faith too much. Life's going to disappoint you, just lower your standards. And you sort of get everything squished. You don't grieve as much, you don't enjoy as much. You're just, your, your bandwidth very thin. Prayer says no. Love is worth the disappointment. We need to grieve well. We need to rejoice well. And God will meet us in our grief in the deepest depths and he'll meet us in the highest highs. Prayer comes against us. I'm going to trust God's hopeful spirit rather than the cynical meditations of our culture our day. I'm going to begin to replace my cynicism meditations. I'm going to follow God's direction and pray my worries and pray my concerns to him. What does it look like for you and I? Well, again, it means I need to get to know someone. Not just something. Prayer is someone you know more than something you do. And I want to encourage you that part of why we're making this book available is this is a chance to download your thoughts and upload God's. Part of working through and writing out your, your lies and meditations is to go, wow, I really do think it's all up to me. That was one I worked through several years ago. That was my lie. It's all up to me. I had to replace that with God is partnering with me. I'm not alone. You download your thoughts. You work through the process of saying, what are the lies I'm ashamed or, or, or I'm never good enough or whatever it is. I'm the only one that feels this way. You download your thoughts to God. Then you upload his thoughts about that situation as you read through the Bible. And then every day and every moment you make a decision. God, I'm trusting your way. I'm starting to get angry. I'm going to trust that a gentle word takes away wrath. I'm going to trust that it's better to be quick to listen than it is to be quick to speak. All through your day you're praying. All through the day you're trusting. All through the day you're choosing someone's vice over your own. You download your thoughts and you upload his. Part of why we made this tool available is we thought this would be a way to really put that in motion for you. To give you a tool for doing that. You can grab those you haven't already and just do that through the week. If you want some community tools for uploading God's thoughts, we have evening of prayer on these different dates at 6.30. It's just an open time to come and pray. There's going to be some groups forming. One is going to be going through this book right here. Another one's going to be going through this book and others. If you want to get into a group to deepen your own prayer life, these are some resources available. But what I want you to hear mostly is that God wants to be the father in your life, the voice in your head that speaks words of wisdom that you can trust. For me, it was my grandfather. Often I'll come to a situation and I'll have my instincts and I'll have my grandpa's voice. I'll think, what would grandpa do? I'm going to trust what grandpa would do. In the same way, that's how I feel with God's voice. I don't think I really want to do that. Well, but he's wiser than me. He's smarter than me. He's been around the corner a few times, and he loves me. And when my grandpa was aging, he got to the point, my grandpa loved toys. His whole basement was a giant workshop, a third of which was a workshop. The other third was just toys. I mean, toys, roller coasters he, he made, and, and train sets, and uh, a decoy duck that he was an electrical engineer. He put a motor into it so he could chase the ducks around. I mean, it was just a fun place. And Grandpa loved his basement. We hadn't been down there in about three years. I was taking care of him during that last summer before he passed away, or maybe a summer before he passed away. So I was his caregiver, but I really wanted to give my grandpa a gift. I wanted him to be able to see his basement again. 
Uh, we couldn't get him down there. He had one of those little rascal things. And the problem with his backyard is it went straight down to the lake. So my dad and I decided we're going to put in two retaining walls and we're going to move 32 tons of dirt by ourselves. We had the 32 tons of dirt dumped in the yard and we pushed it by wheelbarrow. We put up retaining walls and we began to fill it up one layer at a time. And all summer long, I remember, and the whole time I was doing this work, I remember I'd take these beams and I'd be carrying them, slipping down, put it in place and hammer it in its spot. And we'd go back up and we'd get another retaining wall. And I remember just carrying this thing. And I remember at a moment, I was 20 at the time, I remember thinking, wow, this is what God did for me. He carried this beam for me because he was putting my needs ahead of his own. And I would put this thing back in place and hammer it again back in place. We filled it with dirt. We put grass seed on. And I still remember the day. I walked into my grandpa's living room where he sat. We put him on his little rascal. I said, Grandpa, today's the day you're going to see the basement. We drove his little rascal down the ramp that we had built in his front yard, around the side, around the playhouse that he had made for the kids and grandkids. And now for the first time, instead of dropping straight down, we're actually wheeling along slightly slant toward his basement door. We came in his basement door. We turned through his family room and then we opened the door to his workshop and the look on his face. The pure joy in his face as he looked at me and I thought, man, every beam, every shovel, every moment of this summer was worth it. Because this was someone I loved. And when you see that God was the one who was willing to put a beam on his back and shovel all your dirt and grime out of the way to prepare a path, that his word would be a path unto your feet. He says, hear my voice. Whatever I say to you, whether it's harsh, whether it's challenging, whether it's comforting, it always is motivated by my love for you. That's what it means to know someone. I want you to hear what that sounds like firsthand. So I'd like to give a, a welcome to a friend. I met him several months ago. He's been coming about a year. And he's been on this journey of discovering how to dig into the Bible and apply that to his life. So who give a warm welcome to my friend Chris? Chris, come on up. Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Chris, tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey over the last year. Uh, my wife and I have been coming here for about a year. Um, I come from a Greek Orthodox background. My wife is Catholic. And like many of you, we, um, we had gone many, many years with uh, searching and trying to find deep within us uh, a connection to God. Um, you know, we grew up part of the church, uh, volunteering, and slowly as we got older, we just drifted apart from God. And coming to Horizon has really given us the, uh, the tools, the resources, the seeds that we need to, to grow, and we're blossoming, blossoming into that uh, screen you showed us before of um, the gradual progression of spirituality, and um, and it's been a blessing. We've met a lot of friends, and we've connected with so many people, and um, we're very fortunate. I remember when we went to lunch that day, you were sharing with me that you'd never really had a track to run on, the idea of getting into the Bible was somewhat intimidating to you, mm -hmm. and that we did a series, a lot like we're doing now with this Pathway to Prayer, we did a series where we passed out a brochure for our habit series. And you found that got you into the Bible in a new way. So talk a little bit about what your maybe obstacles were to getting into something like that and what some of the benefits were of, of doing it. Yeah, the, the Habits series really was a, a moment where um, I thought that connection um, with God was, was, at the time, was right. And I, and I said to myself after that uh, service that I was going to do it, that I committed to it. And every day I would wake up, start my day off, and end it with, with that study guide. And that allowed me to... Um, 
just explore myself, ask the questions, uh, get in and, and just experience uh, what, the, what, what it meant to be a Christian, but also how to apply those things. Um, one, of the, one of the best things that um, in the study guide early on was, one of the assignments was, um, find someone to apologize to. Um, and that was to admit that you're, you know, that you did something wrong, um, apologize for that person, to that person and ask for forgiveness. Um, and that person was my father. Um, it was something that started early in the series, and I was every time I'd see him, I'd want to say I'm sorry, but I just couldn't. Hmm. So as I dig deeper, did the assignments, the weeks went by, and I was gaining that strength and confidence in the words of the scripture. Um, right at the very end, I actually built up built up enough courage to say to him that I was sorry, and I was scared out of my mind um, because. Throughout my life, I was um, using my dad as a, a punching bag, so to speak. Mm. A lot of my anger and frustrations, I would take it out on him. Yeah. And once I had children and I wanted to um, reach out to them and connect and feed them the knowledge, I thought that wasn't uh, right or appropriate until I gave my dad his, his apology. And ever since then, that's allowed me to become a better man, a better relationship with my father, a better parent to my, my, my sons. Wow, so you got all this apprehension about doing it. You don't mm-hmm. really want to do it at one level. But at some point, you decide, like I talked about, you trusted. Right. You trusted what God says is better, and you found that it actually did. Absolutely. I remember as we sat, I said, hey, what's the next step for you? And I said, you know, for a lot of people, getting into the Bible is very intimidating. They feel it's confusing, mm-hmm. not sure if they get anything out of it. They feel like going, it feels that way. And I say, no, 90% of people feel that way. And I said, uh, i got a friend named Mike who loves to take people um, new to the Bible who've never done it before and just build relationships with them, friendships with them, and, and get in the Bible. And so you started that process as well over the last few months. So uh-huh. Tell me a little what that was like. Yeah, when I, when I, when I first met Mike, um, you know, he had asked to meet at Starbucks. So I'm thinking, okay, this is a public place. Thousands of people are going in and out of this place. We're going to sit down with Bibles and talk about Scripture. And I, I thought that was impossible. I thought you'd lock yourself up in the back corner of a room and, and <laughs> whisper about the Bible and, and preach about it. But uh, And I remember the first time we met, I actually walked in and set the Bible upside down because I was almost ashamed or embarrassed because I wasn't... Um, I, I knew what was in there, but it didn't resonate to myself. And Mike has allowed me... Um, I kind of use the analogy of playing a musical instrument. So you observe by coming to, to, to these services and understanding what kind of person you want to be, and then having someone like Mike um, give me the training and the tools to practice those things, mm. and ultimately, when you reach that point, to teach those to the next person in line. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, here on Sunday morning, this is sort of a, a great place to grow, and hopefully you're learning new things in fun ways, uh, but also, uh, and it's real and genuine, but we also want to equip you. That's why we have small groups, that's why we have these tools. We want to help you take the next step. Like Chris did. So, can we thank Chris? Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.